All right, and you are about to hear the preview of the last section of our series on the repressive state apparatus and the history of it. Uh, if you would like the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. And if you cannot afford to become a patron, jump in the Discord, and we will hook you up with that. Uh, and I hope that you enjoy this. Solidarity forever. The 2020 uprising against racism, there were some whistleblowers that leaked a whole bunch of information about specifically the way the Fusion Center in Maine, the Maine Information and Analysis Center, was used to illegally surveil racial justice protesters, environmental activists, and even counselors at an Israel-Palestine peacebuilding camp. <laughs> Jeez. And as well as maintaining a illegal database of gun owners in the state. The MEAC, which is the, you know, the, the acronym for the Main Information Analysis Center, monitored protests against a controversial transmission line project and shared that information with the company that was overseeing development of that project, Central Maine Power, one of whose board members sat on the oversight committee for the Fusion Center. Jeez, that... The, and then, like, this is what the logical extent of the public-private partnership thing is, even mm-hmm. on, like, where it can seem kind of benign, like, maybe, you know, your local government is wor- working with a business to try and, I don't know, do something, some infrastructure-ish thing. Like, they, that's usually the guise in which they try to, like, um, make it seem benign that these... Uh, that these things are happening but in reality this is really just a providing of of like government information and government power to some very powerful elite few yeah yeah no absolutely i mean it's this is the the difference between this sort of stuff where they're using this gigantic like federal intelligence gathering facility that is condensing all this information from all these police and uh, various intelligence agencies and sharing that with a utility corporation, like how, like we talked about in the very first episode during the Battle of Blair Mountain, U.S. Army surveillance planes were used to track the movement of miners fighting, you know, the company militia and provide that information to the company. And this is a hundred years later. This is just a you know more technologically advanced version of functionally the same thing, and. During, you know, the same period, uh, analysts at this fusion center disseminated false rumors about BLM protesters planning violence based on information Mm -hmm. they got from social media posts from right wing conspiracy theorists. I mean, who, who could forget all the rumors, especially like in the Pacific Northwest where there was like police agencies talking about there's an, there's two Antifa buses coming up here and they're going to start burning and looting. And this is the thing. It's like, it's. It, it's one thing to see, you know, just crazy reactionary psychos like tweeting that stuff out. But these are like the people working at these fusion centers that are spreading this stuff to get, you know, reactionaries in the area jazzed up to get them all excited about committing violence against protesters. Yeah. And like, again, like I, I, I know I keep going back to things about the strategy of tension, but it's like that's that this 
all interlocks in that 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 goal of keeping an ever heightened like reactionary atmosphere within the country by creating threats that don't exist. Like, well, I mean, uh, every time we get a leak like this, uh, the ideological implications become clear as day as long as you know how to read them, which is just like they can keep meticulous, well-documented, verified, triple-checked background notes on thousands of leftists, activists, mm -hmm. anti-police organizers, whatever. But then as soon as it comes to having like reliable information about what's what the left is actually going to do they spread the craziest fucking rumor they can find on stormfront and yeah. it's just like at that point it's hard to say anything other than like look these these organizations are they're pro-fascist organizations right mm -hmm. like even if you don't already accept as a given that like a united states government agency is a fascist organization it's hard to ignore this behavior <laughs> And we've had a few of these leaks. There was a there was a similar yep. leak around the time of Ferguson as well, yep. if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. That was a really big deal. Yeah, there have been numerous instances of the past uh, coming out of where, the way that these fusion centers have been used, where they have done illegal surveillance of what would normally be considered, you know, not that we love the Constitution as a as a document, but it, supposedly these agencies are set up to enforce it, and yet. With all this First Amendment protected activity, like investigative journalists reporting on stuff going on at the border mm -hmm. or just people covering protests, we've had case after case after case where these fusion centers are used to illegally surveil those people to basically to pull their like metadata or even just pull text messages like, you know, that weren't on encrypted services out of the air and then sharing those with other government agencies as well as private entities and like just as far as like these fusion centers and their capabilities, I mean, these all are like, it's not just like a bunch of like blue lives matter chuds trolling through social media and, and retweeting right wing goons. Like they're using vast networks of cameras for uh, facial recognition to track people. They use stingray cell phone spoofers, which are used to track monitor and scoop messages out of cell phones and, you know, a constant use of data mining, largely aimed at, like, social media, but also, especially, like, you know, whenever somebody gets arrested at a protest and your phone gets plugged into one of the, like, police readers and they just pull all the data off, that well, that gets stored and disseminated through these fusion centers. Interesting. And, yeah, so, like, that's one of the ways that we've seen the impacts of lessons learned by the repressive state apparatus in things like Operation Condor pulled back into the U.S. And it would be impossible to really, you know, continue the discussion of how the repressive state apparatus has evolved today without getting into probably the most visible and controversial arm that was has been created in the last 20 years, which is ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement or basically the United States secret police. Yeah. Um, Disguised like, as a border patrol because they do operate like throughout the entire United States. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like something that was coming up a lot, like in 2020 during protests and in, in various like abolish ice movements mm -hmm. was that while they're termed a border police, their standard jurisdiction is anywhere within a hundred miles of a U.S. border, which, by the way, is where I think something like two thirds of the U.S. population lives. 
uh, because that's a huge zone in, in, in this right. country. But in addition, they have all sorts of other legal maneuvers where functionally ICE can operate anywhere in the country. Right. Well, because they show up somewhere and they just check in at their local fusion center and suddenly they have like the yes. backing of, you know, whichever local police department or the local, you know, riot squad or SWAT team or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, probably the most uh, visible and violent use that we've seen of ICE in a in a means other than their, you know, quote unquote intended purpose, sure. which is still like fucked and wrong. We're going to get into that in a second, but like was the deployment of their, basically the ice special forces unit, the border patrol tactical unit or BORTAC, which was deployed to pro to Portland during, you know, the uprising in 2020 against racism. And that was the unit that was seen using <laughs> rented vans to pull people off the streets, these into unmarked government vehicles and detain them without warning, without any sort of declaration of Miranda rights or anything. I mean, in, with tactics that again, I mean, I keep going back to operation Condor and, and certainly as far as I'm aware, these people were, you know, disappeared, but then to a holding facility and most of them were then released or a, a few of them may have been charged with crimes. They weren't, you know, taken out to a ditch and shot like most of the people that were disappeared in, the condor disappearances were, but that sort of tactic again is not an accident. It's not like, Oh, we're out of vehicles. Like again, the U S spends a trillion dollars right. like, on, on, on all these guys equipment. Th they snatch people like this because it's a terror tactic. Like it is designed to keep people afraid of, of protesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean like the idea of being black bagged is a, like a classic, you know, fear of a, a dystopian society, uh, uh, at least, mm -hmm. you know, rhetorically, but then to actually see it deployed is very much so meant to be a demobilizing factor. I mean, when people Absolutely. are are scared that they're not going to be able to go to work the next mm -hmm. day to to make sure that they can provide food for their family and cuz they're worried that if they go to this protest they're going to get black bagged like the, it 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 is a demotivating uh kind of action and it's purposeful in that way it's designed to be a fear tactic yeah well it, it yeah. has echoes of like remember when uh shortly after 911 during the Iraq war and uh all of the related wars uh we would just talk about shock and awe as like a military tactic, yeah. we would just be like, that's what we do. We show up and we shock and awe. Well, you know, Fanon's boomerang or whoever you said, like 20 years later, now they're black bagging <laughs> you in the streets of Portland and they're shock and awing mm -hmm. their own fucking citizens. Yeah. And I mean, d in that same period we saw, and I, I guess I, I, I didn't have any notes for this, but like, because that was again, more of something that was going on abroad to a certain extent, but that was, we saw the, the, the very fancy euphemism for kidnapping, uh, extraordinary rendition, which oh. was carried out, you know, when U.S. security agencies, usually the CIA, would black bag somebody in just off the street anywhere, really, around the world, in Africa, in Central Asia, in East Asia, that they declared had some connection to a terrorist, fly them to another country, interrogate them, usually torture them and either kill them or put them in a prison or sometimes, you know, just drop them on a street somewhere, depending on who they are. And, and like that sort of tactic, they take the parts of it. They find useful and the parts they think they can get away with here in the U S mm -hmm. and they bring that stuff all back. So like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of shades of all of this stuff in these tactics that are being deployed here. But I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, then the most notorious example in the United States of ISIS imp- like uh, crimes against people uh, are the concentration and then, you know, into the pandemic becoming death camps that have yeah. basically put tons, tons, like hundreds of people who have died, but also really just thousands of people into these death camps. Yeah, like that's really the obviously that's that's ISIS. Intended purpose is to turn the border into a militarized zone. It is like after decades and decades and decades of reactionary politicking from both major ruling class parties, like finally ICE was created to ostensibly stop the flow of undocumented immigrants into the country because of, again, and and thanks to 9-11, this was framed as a security threat. You had all these people talking about, oh, well, they're going to have terrorists sneaking in over the porous border, which, again, has never happened once ever. Um, there's never any evidence for that happening. And the one of the most, I mean, there are so many levels of this that are crimes against humanity. As you said, there have been hundreds of thousands of migrants who have been processed through these concentration camps, many of them legally seeking asylum and being denied their rights to do so. Uh, in mo- most cases, you have these folks, if they're, who, when they're not citizens of the U.S., are not required to be provided a lawyer. So you have people going through deportation facilities where you'll have literal like three-year-old children who are forced to represent themselves in Oh, my gosh. If you, in a I've court? Seen- there are actual videos of like kids like in courts represent like it's ridiculous. It's it's appalling. Yeah, like I I I do not have enough synonyms for horrific in the U.S. language that are sufficiently strong enough to like express how like frankly demonic this agency is. But like I mean this these concentration camps on the border we have had at least fifty thousand reported cases of sexual abuse by ice officers like and anybody who's ever you know learned like paid any attention to like how rampant sexual abuse is just in our country generally like you know that if that's the level that has been reported the level that it is happening is so many times like higher than that because like it is frankly dangerous for a lot of these folks to report that sort of thing. And so it's completely understandable why a lot of folks aren't able to come forward with it. And so these, these camps, oftentimes some of them are run by private companies like who are making profits from, you know, government contracts to do so, but also they, to tie back into stuff we've talked about on the show before about prison slavery, oftentimes the services such as laundry, such as cleaning, such as other various services that to keep the, the prisons running are performed by detainees either for free or for insanely, like essentially nothing that no wages like that functionally matter. Detainees actually, there's a, that's a, that's an interesting word to use because it's technically a, that's technically a military term. It's a term I I learned from uh, one of my family members who did some tours in Iraq and, and had to be a prison guard and was like, Oh yeah, we're not allowed to call them prisoners. We have to call them detainees because it's a sanitized version of what they're doing. Well, and because prisoners generally under accepted international law have specific rights mm-hmm. that not that the U.S. has ever given a shit about international law or human rights, despite all of its, you know, propaganda uh, around it. 
but it's the yeah, it's the same thing where like instead of calling the people that we kidnapped and sent to the torture camp at Gitmo, um, instead of calling them you know enemy soldiers, they're referred to as enemy combatants because they were illegally fighting the United States in another <laughs> country and so could buy all the legal nonsense generated by the lawyers at the the quote unquote Justice Department. Like they could then therefore be extradited to the illegally seized uh, part of Cuba that the U.S. maintains a torture facility on and then, you know, tortured, held without any rights for decades. And so one of the things that is, I mean, it's hard to say more frustrating because like the U.S. literally operates a series of concentration camps. It's been operating them for a decade at this point. Like they were created under Obama they got worse under Trump and they continue to be horrific under Biden. Biden hasn't closed a single camp like they he is continuing most of Trump's policies, including the horrific like remain in Mexico policy, which is refusing to allow asylum seekers to enter the country while they are waiting for their asylum cases, um, which has led to ramp of uh, huge increases in violence against migrants in Mexico because like the Mexican state largely doesn't have the facilities to handle the number of people trying to get into the U.S. And. The other thing, though, that is just so maddening about this is that the flow of migration into the U.S. is not because people think this is another thing. Oh, people want to come to America for the American dream. No, people want to come to America because, as we've talked about on our previous episodes, the United States has systematically destroyed any chance that people have to build any sort of a life for themselves in so many of the countries in Central and South America. Like we talked about basically every single country in Latin America that the United States has intervened in in some way, often extremely violently, mm-hmm. oftentimes propping up ex- like fascist and military regimes. And then fought, like when, you know, Operation Condor sort of, you know, faded out a little bit, you then have the IMF which is just the U.S. under another name, like moving in to force these countries to restructure their entire economies into a more neoliberal manner, again, to force down wages, to suppress them to sub-poverty levels, to keep people in starvation. And so people see the the level of economic, like, quote-unquote prosperity, but just comparatively, like, if you are somebody who is living in Honduras after the 2009 U.S. coup that overthrew their government and which quickly led to Honduras becoming basically the murder capital of the world because their government had been destroyed, neoliberal policies enacted by their government allowed private corporations to completely loot the country. Like the minimum wage was just, was like basically didn't exist. So like there's there's no way for people in these countries to support their families because of policies created and carried out by the United States, which forces them if, you know, they want to have a life for their kids to seek out the best opportunity. And the best opportunity that a lot of people see is if they can get into the United States, even at the incredibly bad way that we treat undocumented immigrants here. Like they're, they don't have any protection for the minimum wage. Like they have no labor protections whatsoever and are under the threat of deportation constantly. And it's not as if people don't know that, like, the migrants coming here know about all those things. And yet the situation in these other countries is so bad because of the United States' policies that it, it's still, this is the best option for them. So like we are demonizing these people for coming here when we are the ones who enacted the policies that forced them to do that just to help their families to survive. Right. 
Well, and and I don't want to just. I, I mean, I do want to correct one small thing. Is technically, uh, immigrants do have some protections under the National Labor Relations Act. Yes, uh, but but those things are so difficult to actually uh, like utilize, and the processes that uh, would protect those people presumably take so long that most people are not able to actually use those services whether they would actually help or not because as we know our right-wing labor board basically doesn't help people and if it does it takes forever right well i mean that's like a big part of the pattern of the united states in general which is like we technically will grant rights to so and so people uh but we'll make the system so impossible to use that like not a lot of them are ever able to effectively utilize it and then we'll be like hey this ineffective agency should be on the chopping block during the next budget meeting and we can turn this into raytheon bucks or whatever uh, and then we just systematically yeah. cut every program that would help anybody who's not an already wealthy, you know, natural born citizen, you know, the, the white, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And and just to to tie this back into the, the sort of theme we've been we've had for pretty much all of this discussion, both in the first episode and this one on the way that the repressive state apparatus works with private entities here in the U.S. I mean, last year in 2021. <laughs> South Dakota deployed some of their National Guard. Remember, this is South Dakota, not exactly close to the southern border. They deployed some of their National Guard to the southern border to address the quote-unquote crisis there. And the the funding to send them to the border was not from the South Dakota state government. It was paid for by billionaire used car baron Willis Johnson. Policing the people, Babylon. Policing the people, policing the people. Babylon. Policing the people. Yeah. Product of partition. Dripped in. Product for the stitching. Proud of superstitions. Got powder in the kitchen. Powerful of kitten. Superpowers be killing. America, Britain. Power for villains. Powerful position, power for the pigeons, powder for the shillings. Power for offshore drilling, pirates, plunder, pillage, killing civilians, counting currencies, millions. Politics, make victim for income, parlor tricks, schism for system. Babylon policing the people, take a man and they shift him. That Patriot Act. That's a privacy prison That Pentagon They vision is prison Got what we asked for, someone to listen Handcuffs, mother on phone Jail cell, martyr who stone Guard your home, neighbor with stones Government drones, cookie cutter clones Then the towers fell in front of my eyes And I remember the principal said they wouldn't for a month they used my high school as a triage And so we went to school in Brooklyn And the city's board of ed hired shrinks for the students And maybe I should have seen one And from then on they called us all Osama This old Sikh man on the bus was Osama I was Osama, we were Osama Are you Osama? And so we rushed to buy flags for our doors Bright American flags that read, I am not Osama And we ironed our polo shirts and we combed our hair And we proudly paid our taxes And 
we immediately donated to a local white politician and we yelled, I'm just like you, as quietly and calmly as we could, so as not to raise too much attention and be labeled a troublemaker and lose one's job. Like when my name was too long to pronounce her work and raise too much attention, and I was labeled a troublemaker, so I changed it. And we struck words like bomb from our vocabulary. And airports changed to us forever Where another blue uniform came to represent oppression or undressing And another blue uniform came to represent stops and frisks depressing And our parents began to fear for our lives whenever we walked out the door Because they read the news and another cab driver was beaten to death And yesterday, more than ten years later, another man from the neighborhood was deported I went to expensive white people's school with his daughter for four years we read books and together we yelled, I'm just like you But she won't get to correct her father's English at dinner anymore And the FBI harassed one of my dad's friends so much he packed up his stuff and took his family and they moved back to Pakistan They would come at night and they would wake them up and make a mess and the mess upset his wife Giant metal birds in the sky brought my parents here and made things confusing And then crashed into those buildings and made things confusing But I guess it's okay because my dad wasn't deported And I still get to correct his English at dinner So he doesn't raise too much attention And get labeled a troublemaker